Chapter thirty six of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter thirty six. What the young men thought about it. Lucius Mason at this time was living at home at Orley Farm, not by any means in a happy frame of mind. It will be perhaps remembered that he had at one time had an interview with Mr. Furnival in that lawyer's chambers, which was by no means consoling to him, seeing that Mr. Furnival had pooh-poohed him and his pretensions in a very off-hand way. And he had since paid a very memorable visit to Mr. Dockrath, in which he had hardly been more successful. Nevertheless, he had gone to another lawyer. He had felt it impossible to remain tranquil, pursuing the ordinary avocations of his life, while such dreadful charges were being made openly against his mother, and being so made without any authorized contradiction. He knew that she was innocent. No doubt on that matter ever perplexed his mind for a moment. But why was she such a coward that she would not allow him to protect her innocence in the only way which the law permitted? He could hardly believe that he had no power of doing so even without her sanction and therefore he went to another lawyer. The other lawyer did him no good. It was not practicable that he, the son, should bring an action for defamatory character on the part of the mother without that mother's sanction. Moreover, as this new lawyer saw in a moment, any such interference on the part of Lucius, and any interposition of fresh and new legal proceedings, would cripple and impede the advisers to whom Lady Mason had herself confided her own case. The new lawyer could do nothing, and thus Lucius, again repulsed, betook himself to Orley Farm in no happy frame of mind. For some day or two after this he did not see his mother. He would not go down to the cleave, though they sent up and asked him, and she was almost afraid to go across to the house and visit him. He will be in church on Sunday, she had said to Mrs. Orme, but he was not in church on Sunday, and then on Sunday afternoon she did go to him. This, it will be understood, was before Sir Peregrine had made his offer, and therefore, as to that, there was as yet no embarrassment on the widow's mind. "'I cannot help feeling, mother,' he said, after she had sat there with him for a short time, "'that for the present there is a division between you and me.' oh lucius it is no use our denying it to ourselves it is so you are in trouble and you will not listen to my advice you leave my house and take to the roof of a new and an untried friend no lucius not that yes i say a new friend twelve months ago though you might call there you never did more than that and even that but seldom they are new friends and yet, now that you are in trouble, you choose to live with them. Dear Lucius, is there any reason why I should not visit at the Cleeve? Yes, if you ask me, yes. And now he spoke very sternly. There is a cloud upon you, and you should know nothing of visitings and of new friendships till that cloud has been dispersed. While these things are being said of you, you should sit at no other table than this, and drink of no man's cup but mine. I know your innocence, and as he went on to speak, he stood up before her, and looked down fully into her face. 
but others do not i know how unworthy are these falsehoods with which wicked men strive to crush you but others believe that they are true accusations they cannot be disregarded and now it seems now that you have allowed them to gather to a head they will result in a trial during which you will have to stand at the bar charged with a dreadful crime oh lucius and she hid her eyes in her hands i could not have helped it how could i have helped it well it must be so now until that trial is over here should be your place here at my right hand i am he who am bound to stand by you it is i whose duty it is to see that your name be made white again though i spend all i have i and my life in doing it i am the one man on whose arm you have a right to lean and yet in such days as these you leave my house and go to that of a stranger he is not a stranger lucius he cannot be to you as a son should be however it is for you to judge i have no control in this matter but i think it right that you should know what are my thoughts and then she had crept back again to the cleave let lucius say what he might let this additional sorrow be ever so bitter she could not obey her son's behests if she did so in one thing she must do so in all she had chosen her advisers with her best discretion and by that choice she must abide even though it separated her from her son she could not abandon sir peregrine orme and mr furnival so she crept back and told all this to mrs orme her heart would have utterly sunk within her could she not have spoken openly to some one of this sorrow but he loves you mrs orme had said comforting her it is not that he does not love you but he is so stern to me and then mrs orme had kissed her and promised that none should be stern to her there in that house on the morning after this sir peregrine had made his offer and then she felt that the division between her and her boy would be wider than ever and all this had come of that inheritance which she had demanded so eagerly for her child and now lucius was sitting alone in his room at orley farm having for the present given up all idea of attempting anything himself by means of the law he had made his way into mr dockwrath's office and had there insulted the attorney in the presence of witnesses his hope now was that the attorney might bring an action against him if that were done he would thus have the means of bringing out all the facts of the case before a judge and a jury it was fixed in his mind that if he could once drag that reptile before a public tribunal and with loud voice declare the wrong that was being done all might be well the public would understand and would speak out and the reptile would be scorned and trodden underfoot poor lucius it is not always so easy to catch public sympathy and it will occur sometimes that the wrong reptile is crushed by the great public heel he had his books before him as he sat there his latham and his pritchard and he had the jawbone of one savage and the skull of another his liverpool bills for unadulterated guana were lying on the table and a philosophical german treatise on agriculture which he had resolved to study it became a man he said to himself to do a man's work in spite of any sorrow but nevertheless as he sat there his studies were but of little service to him 
how many men have declared to themselves the same thing but have failed when the trial came who can command the temper and the mind at ten i will strike the lyre and begin my poem but at ten this poetic spirit is under a dark cloud because the water for the tea had not boiled when it was brought in at nine and so the lyre remains unstricken and lucius found that he could not strike his lyre for days he had sat there and no good note had been produced and then he had walked over his land having a farming man at his heels thinking that he could turn his mind to the actual and practical working of his land but little good had come of that either it was january and the land was sloppy and half frozen there was no useful work to be done on it and then what farmer greenwood had once said of him was true enough the young meister's spry and active surely but he can't let himself down to stable doom and the like of that he had some grand idea of farming a conviction that the agricultural world in general was very backward and that he would set it right even now in his sorrow as he walked through his splashy frozen fields he was tormented by a desire to do something he knew not what that might be great he had no such success on the present occasion and returned disconsolate to the house this happened about noon on the day after that on which sir peregrine had declared himself he returned as i have said to the house and there at the kitchen door he met a little girl whom he knew well as belonging to the cleave she was a favourite of mrs orme's was educated and clothed by her and ran on her messages now she had brought a letter up to lucius from his mother curtsying low she so told him and he at once went into the sitting-room where he found it lying on his table his hand was nervous as he opened it but if he could have seen how tremulous had been the hand that wrote it the letter was as follows dearest lucius i know you will be very much surprised at what i am going to tell you but i hope you will not judge me harshly if i know myself at all i would take no step of any kind for my own advantage which could possibly injure you at the present moment we unfortunately do not agree about a subject which is troubling us both and i cannot therefore consult you as i should otherwise have done i trust that by god's mercy these troubles may come to an end and that there may be no further differences between you and me sir peregrine orme has made me an offer of marriage and i have accepted it lucius mason when he had read so far threw down the letter upon the table and rising suddenly from his chair walked rapidly up and down the room marry him he said out loud marry him the idea that their fathers and mothers should marry and enjoy themselves is always a thing horrible to be thought of in the minds of the rising generation lucius mason now began to feel against his mother the same sort of anger which joseph mason had felt when his father had married again marry him and then he walked rapidly about the room as though some great injury had been threatened to him and so it had in his estimation was it not her position in life to be his mother had she not had her young days but it did not occur to him to think what those young days had been 
and this then was the meaning of her receding from his advice and from his roof she had been preparing for herself in the world new hopes and a new home and a new ambition and she had so prevailed upon the old man that he was about to do this foolish thing then again he walked up and down the room injuring his mother much in his thoughts he gave her credit for none of those circumstances which had truly actuated her in accepting the hand which sir peregrine had offered her in that matter touching the orley farm estate he could acquit his mother instantly with acclamation but in this other matter he had pronounced her guilty before she had been allowed to plead then he took up the letter and finished it sir peregrine orme has made me an offer of marriage and i have accepted it it is very difficult to explain in a letter all the causes that have induced me to do so the first perhaps is this that i feel myself so bound to him by love and gratitude that i think it my duty to fall in with all his wishes he has pointed out to me that as my husband he can do more for me than would be possible for him without that name i have explained to him that i would rather perish than that he should sacrifice himself but he is pleased to say that it is no sacrifice at any rate he so wishes it and as mrs orme has cordially assented i feel myself bound to fall in with his views it was only yesterday that sir peregrine made his offer i mention this that you may know that i have lost no time in telling you dearest lucius believe that i shall be as ever your most affectionate mother mary mason the little girl will wait for an answer if she finds that you are at the farm no he said to himself still walking about the room she can never be to me the same mother that she was i would have sacrificed everything for her she should have been the mistress of my house at any rate till she herself should have wished it otherwise but now and then his mind turned away suddenly to sophia furnival i cannot myself but think that had that affair of the trial been set at rest lady mason would have been prudent to look for another home the fact that orley farm was his house and not hers occurred almost too frequently to lucius mason and i am not certain that it would have been altogether comfortable as a permanent residence for his mother after he should have brought home to it some such bride as her he now proposed to himself it was necessary that he should write an answer to his mother which he did at once orley farm january dear mother it is i fear too late for me to offer any counsel on the subject of your letter i cannot say that i think you are right your affectionate son lucius mason and then having finished this he again walked the room it is all up between me and her he said as real friends in life and heart she shall still have the respect of a son and i shall have the regard of a mother but how can i trim my course to suit the welfare of the wife of sir peregrine orme and then he lashed himself into anger at the idea that his mother should have looked for other solace than that which he could have given nothing more from the cleave reached him that day but early on the following morning he had a visitor whom he certainly had not expected before he sat down to his breakfast he heard the sound of a horse's feet before the door and immediately afterwards 
Peregrine Orme entered the sitting-room. He was duly shown in by the servant, and in his ordinary way came forward quickly and shook hands. Then he waited till the door was closed, and at once began upon the subject which had brought him there. "'Mason,' he said, "'you have heard of this that is being done at the Cleave?' Lucius immediately fell back a step or two, and considered for a moment how he should answer. He had pressed very heavily on his mother in his own thoughts, but he was not prepared to hear her harshly spoken of by another. "'Yes,' said he, "'I have heard.' "'And I understand from your mother that you do not approve of it.' "'Approve of it? No, I do not approve of it.' "'Nor by heavens do I.' "'I do not approve of it,' said Mason, speaking with deliberation. "'But I do not know that I can take any steps towards preventing it.' "'Cannot you see her, and talk to her, and tell her how wrong it is?' "'Wrong? I do not know that she is wrong in that sense. I do not know that you have any right to blame her. Why do not you speak to your grandfather?' "'So I have, as far as it was possible for me. But you do not know Sir Peregrine. No one has any influence over him but my mother, and now also your mother.' "'And what does Mrs. Orme say?' "'She will say nothing.' i know well that she disapproves of it she must disapprove of it though she will not say so she would rather burn off both her hands than displease my grandfather she says that he asked her and that she consented it seems to me that it is for her and you to prevent this no it is for your mother to prevent it only think of it mason he is over seventy and as he says himself he will not burden the estate with a new jointure. Why should she do it? You are wronging her there. It is no affair of money. She is not going to marry him for what she can get. Then why should she do it? Because he tells her. These troubles about the lawsuit have turned her head, and she has put herself entirely into his hands. I think she is wrong. I could have protected her from all this evil, and would have done so. I could have done more, I think, than Sir Peregrine can do. But she has thought otherwise, and I do not know that I can help it. But will you speak to her? Will you make her perceive that she is injuring a family that is treating her with kindness? If she will come here, I will speak to her. I cannot do it there. I cannot go down to your grandfather's house with such an object as that. "'All the world will turn against her if she marries him,' said Peregrine, and then there was silence between them for a moment or two. "'It seems to me,' said Lucius at last, "'that you wrong my mother very much in this matter, and lay all the blame where but the smallest part of the blame is deserved. She has no idea of money in her mind, or any thought of pecuniary advantage. She is moved solely by what your grandfather has said to her and by an insane dread of some coming evil which she thinks may be lessened by his assistance you are in the house with him and can speak to him and if you please to her also i do not see that i can do either and you will not help me to break it off certainly if i can see my way will you write to her well i will think about it whether she be to blame or not, it must be your duty as well as mine to prevent such a marriage, if it be possible. Think what people will say of it. 
After some further discussion, Peregrine remounted his horse and rode back to the cleave, not quite satisfied with young Mason. "'If you do speak to her, to my mother, do it gently.' Those were the last words whispered by Lucius, as Peregrine Orme had his foot in the stirrup. Young Peregrine Orme, as he rode home, felt that the world was using him very unkindly. Everything was going wrong with him, and an idea entered his head that he might as well go and look for Sir John Franklin at the North Pole, or join some energetic traveller in the middle of Central Africa. He had proposed to Madeline Staveley, and had been refused. That, in itself, caused a load to lie on his heart which was almost unendurable and now his grandfather was going to disgrace himself. He had made his little efforts to be respectable and discreet, devoting himself to the county hunt and county drawing-rooms, giving up the pleasures of London and the glories of dissipation. And for what? Then Peregrine began to argue within himself, as some others have done before him. Were it not better done as others use, he said to himself, in that or other language, and as he rode slowly into the courtyard of the cleave, he thought almost with regret of his old friend Carroty Bob. End of chapter thirty six of Orley Farm by Anthony Trollope. Recording by Leonard Wilson of Springfield, Ohio.